0: I'm so glad that you're in God's house and I'm loving this series that we're teaching. Uh, To me, when we speak about discipleship, we're speaking to the very essence uh, of what it is to follow Jesus. And uh, the message today is going to pick up right where we left off last week. You know, we've been in this this passage, I'm going to read in a moment Matthew 4, but it's inspired out of this this journey of following Jesus and then in turn leading others in His way. And so today's message is going to be called, I Will make you. Uh, We have a photo, I think, maybe two, uh, of Paul Andrew circa salvation. Can we put that up on the screen? Um, There I am. Look at me in my very uh, fancy looking school uniform. This is me right around the age when I found Jesus. Is there a second photo? There might be. Yeah, there I am with my brother Mark, who uh, now lives in California with his wife and kids. And when I look at me then, right at the very beginning of my journey to follow Jesus, all that I was going through, hopes, dreams, pain, trying to find myself and find my way, I just think I couldn't possibly have known then what Jesus had in store, the adventure, the journey of transformation that was awaiting on the other side of that decision I made right around that age, to pursue Jesus. I, I, um, I came to faith in no small part because I was at a, a Christian school, a Church of England school in Australia. And um, my family was, it's probably being gracious to describe us as nominally Christian, right? Because it was more like if you gave us a list of religions, we would have teached Christian, but it didn't really have any impact on the way that we lived our lives, the, des- the decisions that we made. We've often joked we were classic Uh, CEO Christians, like Christmas and Easter only, right? On a good year, maybe. Uh, And we felt very religious for doing it. And um, then I had this encounter with Jesus. Ironically, after I was already running the school Christian group, which is a story for another day. It's very, success. apparently it was just like raw enthusiasm and maybe a little leadership potential that somehow I ended up in charge of a group about a person that I had yet to give my life to. But anyway, that's another story. And the one summer, the school chaplain said, listen, you can't run the school Christian group anymore unless you start going to church, which I thought was very unfair. Uh, but anyway, I did, in fact, go to a church and discovered Jesus was an actual person you could follow and not just an idea in history books. And uh, that was a big revelation for me. Um, it just shows you, the grace of God that some of the people I was leading, and actually who themselves found Jesus under my leadership before I did, are in full-time ministry today, so I don't know how that fits in your theology, but I just, I love the bigness and goodness of God, amen? All I know is in the Bible, He used donkeys, so I feel qualified, amen? Anybody else feel like He uses the foolish things of the, the world to confound the wise could be a life scripture? We should get that as a tattoo. What do you think? Yeah, we should. Ah, uh, I just never knew where the journey of following Jesus would lead me, amen? And I look at, you know, you look at a butterfly and you realize it always had that potential within the DNA, within the God-made hardwiring of that caterpillar. There was a, a, a transformational potential that was possible, but it had a journey to go through, right? The metamorphosis, the evolution, it had, it had a journey of transformation to go through in order to become what it could become. Here's my thought for you as we get into this message this morning is I think if you'll let him, Jesus will transform you into the person that the Father intended you to be, into your God-given potential, which might be radically more than you could even possibly imagine at this moment in time. So Jesus, as we open your word this morning, I just pray uh, <laughs> that you would transform us as only you can from the inside out, in Jesus' name, amen. So our key text this month is Matthew 4. In verse 19 to 20 in the New King James, it says that Jesus said to them, he said, this is to Peter and to Andrew, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, we spoke to that a little bit last week. Follow me and I will make you. That's where we're gonna spend our time today And then what's He going to make them fishers of men. In other words, you could almost paraphrase this to say that there's an invitation and there's a transformation and then there's mission. So we're invited to follow Jesus and that's what we were unpacking last week. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it look like to follow Jesus? Why is it so important that we follow Jesus? And then when we follow Jesus, what happens on that journey? That's where we're going to spend some time today because I believe it's an invitation To transformation. I will make you. And next week we can get to the mission because I believe as we follow Jesus, we allow our lives to be transformed by by Him, it's only natural that we're gonna join with Him in His mission on earth. You know, uh, when I think about this passage, we have a little graphic of the mission statement of our church. You know, our, our, our vision is to know Christ and make Him known, but you see here, follow Jesus thrive in community, make a difference. Probably sounds familiar. We call it our mission. It's our hope that every person who calls Liberty Church home would, would follow Jesus. I believe that's the foundation of everything. Would follow Jesus, would thrive in community and make a difference. In fact, the next slide kind of lays over the top of this, this passage that we're speaking to right now at a Matthew 4 where it says, Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you fishes of men. I don't think we even realized as we, we dwelt on and prayed on our mission how much it paralleled the mandate of Scripture here, this journey of the invitation, transformation, and mission. In fact, there's another one. I think we've got Mark 3 back there as well. Jesus said in another passage, the Bible says of Jesus, that, that he called them, speaking of the disciples, he called them that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach. Do you see that same rhythm? What we call following Jesus, thriving in community, and making a difference. Here, here he's, call, he's calling them that they might be with him. That's important. There's a transformation that's required before we can get to the last part. Oftentimes we love to rush out there. We wanna make a difference, and that's a noble aspiration, amen? But how do we really make the difference that God intended us to make if we haven't first learned to follow Jesus, and then allow that transformation to begin to work in us. By the way, let me just point out something that you might be wondering. Are these like steps or stages? No, heaven forbid we ever get the idea that we graduate from following Jesus. That's terrifying. So just get it. We gotta, we gotta realize that in every season and every day, in the highs and the lows, we continue to follow Jesus. But then we, we layer in what it means to be, to be transformed, a thriving community, and we begin to make a difference. Matthew 28, what's often referred to as the Great Commission, Right before Jesus, you know, it's towards the end of His earthly ministry, right before He ascends to the right hand of the Father, Jesus says this to the disciples, really to all who would follow Him. It says in verse 18, "...all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit." I'm teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He says, therefore, go. Go and do what? Go and make disciples. You're gonna baptize them. You're gonna do it in my name. You're gonna teach them to obey the things that I have taught you. And yet I find words like disciple and discipleship can easily end up a little cliche to us. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you use the word enough times, it can start to, to lose its meaning, or at least that when we say it, we don't attach the meaning to it. What do we even mean when we say to be a disciple of Jesus, to be disciple makers? What does that mean to us? How do I know when, I, when I've made one? Or to put it a different way, ask yourself the question, is his last command my first priority? Go into all the world and make disciples. I want to speak a little bit today about what this journey of transformation looks like. If you take your notes, one thing you could write down is this, number one, is discipleship is a journey of transformation, becoming more like Jesus as we follow him. It's a journey of transformation. Oftentimes, our modern Christianity is very uh, event-oriented, and there are certainly events in the pursuit of Jesus, but I think it's better defined as a, as a journey I read Matthew 4 a moment ago, but I want to I reread it in a different translation called The Passion. We'll back it up to verse 18. It says, As he was walking by the shore of Lake Galilee, Jesus noticed two fishermen who were brothers. One was nicknamed Kepha, later called Peter, and the other was Andrew, his brother. And watching as they were casting their nets into the water, Jesus called out to them and said, Come and follow me, and I will transform you into men who catch people for God. And immediately they dropped their nets and left everything behind to follow Jesus. Come follow me and I will, what? I will transform you. I love that. I will transform you. See, I think there's a beautiful both and tension in following Jesus. I believe all at once two things. One, that he loves you just as you are. And two, that he loves you too much to leave you just as you are. Is that your experience of following Jesus, that He accepts us in our and Isn't that a glorious and important thing? One of, the, one of the saddest kind of mistakes, one of the common misconceptions that exists in the world is that i, I got to get it together to come to Jesus. And isn't that the most awful Catch-22 possible? Because the truth is we don't really change and we can't get it together ourselves. It's only the grace of God and the work of God in us that changes us from the inside out. If it was waiting till I got it together, I'm never going to be able to come to Jesus. He accepts me just as I am, and yet He loves me too much to leave me just as I am. It's a journey of transformation. Following Jesus changes us, right? Can anybody attest to that in this room today? Has following Jesus changed you? It's changed me. In fact, if I could say it more strongly, I believe if you're not changing, and I don't mean this is not in a way of condemnation, hey, it's a journey, but if in the long run you're not changing, it's probable that you're not following Jesus, I don't think it's possible to really follow Jesus and not find ourselves changed. And what's beautiful about the way that he changes us is it's not by some kind of behavior modification program. Isn't most religion like that? We try to be a good boy, be a good girl. It's outside in. I strive harder to try and change myself. Well, I'm not saying there's no effort involved, but the way of Jesus is a very different way. No wonder he says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He changes us on the inside Works on our heart and the power and grace of God in us transforms us from the inside out. We change. What I notice about Peter and Andrew, the two brothers, by the way, is the change still has a thread of what they had been at the moment that Jesus called them. They were fishermen, right? And maybe I'm reading too much in the text, but I kind of like that Jesus repurposes them. Okay, you're fishermen. All right, well, let's, how do we elevate that? Doesn't every cooking show do that, elevate things? Elevating the dish, right? It's all about it. It's like Jesus looks at who they are. He says fishing, fishing for fish, that's ordinary. Anybody can do that. I'm gonna teach you how to fish for men. And he invites them into this journey of transformation. as we imagine, boy, if I really gave my life to Jesus, it would be the antithesis, the opposite of who I am, what I've ever been. And, and actually, my, my discovery is that really the journey of Following Jesus often takes those raw materials that were in me and brings out the very best version of me, who God designed me to be. In fact, Dallas Willard, who I'm going to quote a few times today, Dallas Willard famously said, Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Isn't that a good thought? Just sit with that for a minute. Who Jesus would be if he were you. Bringing out the Jesus in you. It's a transformation journey, and it's a choice to follow Him, really a daily choice. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to His disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can it... Anyone give in exchange for their soul, the Son of Man is going to come in the Father's glory with His angels and He will reward each person according to what they have done. We deny ourselves. It's a journey of transformation. Take up our cross. We follow Him. We lay down our life and we receive the life that's in Jesus. And I notice that this journey, it's a very relational journey. That's what Jesus is. He's follow me. We're not doing this thing alone. We follow Jesus. And then, and you notice with the disciples, He invites them to follow Him in the context of community. You know, Mark three fourteen. 14, we, we mentioned earlier, He called them first to be with Him, to be with Him. God desires to be with you, amen, and to know you. It's a relationship. Eugene Peterson, great writer. He actually, he, he, uh, he wrote, wrote the message version of Scripture, passed away last year. He said this. He said, the way of Jesus cannot be imposed or mapped, It requires an active participation in following Jesus as he leads us through sometimes strange and unfamiliar territory and circumstances that will become clear only in the hesitations and questionings, in the pauses and reflections where we engage in prayerful conversation with one another and with him. Isn't that good? It's a journey, it's a journey. And some of us who want to know everything up front, right? Jesus, give me the fifty-page plan. I want to. How is this all going to unfold? We've got to embrace the mystery, what he calls the hesitations and the pauses. The mystery of what it is to follow him. Maybe if I could say it a different way, we've got to understand that following Jesus is not just a one-time decision; it's a journey. And I think oftentimes we overestimate, overestimate, overemphasize, if you like, that one-time decision. Amen. To making that decision, giving your life to Jesus, praying that prayer. He is Lord. Dying to our own way of living and leaning into Him. Amen to that. But you've got to realize then that it's a journey. And like any journey, there are constantly choices and opportunities. In fact, following Jesus to me is a, a lot like kind of a whole series of Y junctions, right? Almost every day, sometimes every hour, depending on the kind of week I'm having. So will I follow Jesus in this moment or something else? <laughs> and over time, the accumulation of all those choices, not suggesting I always made the right choices, amen, but all of those choices led me on an adventure. I heard somebody say just recently that you know, Jesus told us to go and make disciples, but the modern church, we oftentimes act like Jesus told us to go and make converts and expect Him to make the disciples. That's a challenge. Amen. To winning people to Jesus. And I pray it happens again today. It happens almost every service in our church. People commit or recommit their way to following Jesus. But hey, it's in the journey. Number two, we are transformed by learning to do the things which Jesus said to do learning to do the things which Jesus said to do. In fact, Jesus had the audacity to say even greater things. They'd seen, those disciples had seen him do great things, even greater things, and these will you do also. Faith in Jesus should produce action. What are you gonna do about what Jesus is saying. In fact, I've got a a mentor, a friend, uh, Pastor Rod Plummer in Tokyo, Japan. He's got a great church called Lifehouse. They're in about 15 major Asian cities now. You know, mainland China and Hong Kong and amazing. But their discipleship model is so simple. Their whole framework for discipleship is three simple questions. Robert Coleman had a very similar approach in the master plan of evangelism. They just asked three questions. What's God saying to you? What are you gonna do about it? Ah, there you go. And how can we help? So what's God saying to you? Okay, well, that helps us lean into the fact that it's relationship. Amen? We're we're encouraging, believing with every person in this room right now that you would be hearing from God. Isn't it so easy today to just imagine, well, the professionals, whoever, is that us, Cody? Heaven help. The professionals hear from God, right? And then we hear from them. No, 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 no. you have a direct line. Isn't that good news? Hear from God. And And then we want to ask you, what are you going to do about it? Because some of us, we love to hear from God, but it's the doing, not as much. Like, what's the word for today, Lord? What did you do with the word from yesterday, Paul? Okay. Touche. <laughs> well played, Holy Spirit. And then other times, it's that remembering. It's the, the, the community around you can say, how can we help? Pray with you, encourage you, support you. It's really that simple. It's what, it's what a, a lot of people call obedience-based discipleship. It's very easy today to accumulate knowledge, Right? Spiritual information. I mean it's at our fingertips. We got you can get the best of the best teaching in moments, right? From around the world. But what the bigger question is, what are we gonna do with what we know? You know, Jesus put it this way in Luke chapter 6. He says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? That's a fair question. You ever been there? Lord, Lord, what does that mean? What does it mean for him to be Lord? If he is in fact Lord, don't I serve at the pleasure of the King? Shouldn't I do what he tells me to do? So it's not enough just to hear the words or to know the words. The rubber hits the road when I do them. He says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I'll show you what they're like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood came and the torrent struck that house, it could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built... A house on the ground without foundation, and the moment the the struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. So, what's the essence of this point? The essence is to be not just hearers, as James put it, to be doers also of His word. Amen. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, "It's only because he became like us that we can become like him." So we lean in, and we listen, and we realize too, by the way, that it's grace that gets this work done. Do we have responsibility? Yes. To act and to obey, but it's the master who transforms us, amen. Number three, we are transformed by living our everyday lives in the character of Christ. In the character of, it's not only to do what he does, amen, to the works and to the obedience, but let's also consider, is my character being transformed into the ways of Jesus. Louis Giglio, uh, he said, Humility is not a character trait to develop, it is the natural byproduct of being with Jesus. Isn't that encouraging? The more I learn to just be with Jesus, the more I'm gonna think his thoughts and pray his kind of prayers and express love toward others as Jesus has and does. You know, we realize our earthly relationships influence us, right? that in some ways we become a, the sum of the company that we keep. Well, are we keeping company with Jesus? He, above all, influences and shapes and changes us, and His character is just the same. You know what? I've, I've been on this journey all these years since I was 16. That's a lot of years now. And I, I've discovered he, He's done a lot of change in me. You know, uh, He's exchanged so much of my insecurity for humility. Well, that was from Him. That's a beautiful transformation. He's exchanged so much vain ambition for kingdom vision. He's exchanged so much selfishness for learning to be more present. And on and on and on, it's gone. And I credit to him be all the glory for that transformation. His character at work in me. Which, by the way, one way of understanding this would be from Galatians 5, where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Spirit of God, what's the fruit of that in our lives? By the way, apple trees don't, uh, to produce apples, right? It's in the DNA. <laughs> I'm not saying there's no effort. I don't want to overemphasize. I'm not saying there's no effort required in the Christian journey. But we, it's in our connection to Him. In fact, Jesus said, it's like, I'm, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Remain in me. Dwell, abide in me. And you'll produce much fruit. Amen? This is the way he says it. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance. Amen, I need to repeat that for myself. Forbearance. Any, any friends out there today? Yeah. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Man, that would, be like, that would be the rest of my life, just leaning into that. I could just take that one verse. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step. With the Spirit. That's what it looks like, right? More and more every day wanting what Jesus wants. More and more every day. My heart and the deep longings of my heart and soul lining up with the deep longings of Jesus' heart. Delighting in what He delights in. Finding beautiful what He finds beautiful. Becoming a genuinely loving person through the love of Jesus. And you know, if I could just make one distinction here, I think that more than we realize, this takes place in the ordinary. This takes place in the everyday. You know, I I, I oftentimes, I think I, I focus too much on the events, the big events, and amen to those moments. Some conference experience, some epiphany moment with the Holy Spirit. No doubt, those things happen. But I think the accumulation of so many seemingly mundane, ordinary, everyday moments is the real deep transformative work really is. Dallas Willard puts it this way. He says, I'm learning to conduct the usual activities of life in home, school, community, business, and government in the character and power of Christ. Jesus himself, of course, spent much of his life on earth as an independent contractor or a businessman, right? Jesus could have led an or- the ordinary life of an ordinary citizen in all its re- legitimate respects. He can show us how to live now as a mother or father, banker, computer programmer, teacher or artist in the kingdom of the heavens. His character and power and personal guidance will lead us into life as it should be in all these areas of human existence. When I first started in full-time ministry, I was working at a community center, a youth center. And one of the young guys who uh, came to Christ and uh, became, became a follower of Jesus in those days. He was a teenager and I was just maybe 20, early 20s. And I discipled him. And many years later, um, through a series of choices that, that he made, he ended up in full-time ministry and serving the Lord in Los Angeles in a major ministry there. And uh, the, the profile of that ministry and the particular ministry that he led got the attention of a big Christian magazine called Charisma. And they did an article on him. Now, this is years later, over, well over a decade later. And they said, you know, they, they were sort of fishing. They, I think they had a particular answer in mind. They were saying, like, what was the thing that really marked you and changed you? And do you know what he talked about? Me driving him home in my ugly red van all those years. Wasn't the, I mean, we heard amazing speakers, went to amazing, had all these amazing events. But for him, the transformational thing was what looked really ordinary. I'd drive him home. He was a teenager. didn't have a license. Drive him home, sit out the front, pray, talk. Processed what was happening in his family. And he, as he looked back, credited that, the ordinary, the everyday, with the thing that changed him the most. Number four is we are transformed by exercising the power of Jesus to do good and to defeat evil. To do good and to defeat evil. That was Jesus' mission and we're called to walk in that. Matthew, uh, no, Mark 6, verse 7. It says, calling the 12 to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. And these were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts, wear sandals, not an extra shirt. And when you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. If any place will not welcome you or listen to you, then uh, shake, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed sick people with oil and healed them. I imagine this moment. See, we can read that and not realize it. it's a pivot just happened. He's unleashing the disciples to go and do the things that they'd seen him do. To do good and drive out darkness, to put it a different way. And so now suddenly it's like Jesus says, tag, you're it. I'm, I'm going to stay back. Wait, what? I mean, this is Jesus. He's been doing all this cool stuff raising dead people. And sometimes he lets us, you know, help out. He would want to feed 5,000 people. He'd do all the heavy lifting, break the bread, pray, give thanks. And then just in our hands, it was like, we can feed 5,000 people. But Jesus was there. And now he says, you got this. Get out there. Go in pairs. Tell me how it goes. Tag. You're it. And he sends them out to do good. And you know what? The truth is, Demons come out of people, sick people. In fact, they get a little overexcited. If you read on in that passage, it's a little humorous because they come back like, whoa, even the demons. And Jesus is like, okay, settle. So he has to like give them a little recalibration at the end. He's like, you know, I saw Satan fall from heaven and just also probably just rejoice that your names are written in the book of life, right? Let's keep all of this in perspective. But the truth is they realize, man, in Jesus' name, we can do things. We would have never imagined you know, it's like the old corporate training, you know, like the delegation or the coaching process from I do, to I do, you watch, to you do, I watch, and then you do, right? And then Jesus says, just nudges them out into the deep. It's like, you know, if, if you've ever been a parent teaching a kid to ride a bike or you've watched one in the park and there's that, that moment when they let go of the seat. <laughs> and whether the child realizes it or not, they're on their own now. They can, they, I can't do this. You are doing this. That's the journey, right? We're gonna make mistakes. But we're gonna do the things that Jesus did. And that's how the early Christians even earned the name Christian. You know that, right? They didn't name themselves that. Others did. Little Christ. How would they have gotten that nickname from other people? Well, because they were doing things Jesus did and saying things that Jesus said. That's how they earned that nickname. We have an apprenticeship to undertake. And it's gonna look like Acts ten thirty eight, where it says that God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power, And he went about doing what? Doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. If I I can just add a little nuance to this for a moment. Let's be very careful in our modern 21st century Christianity that we don't allow consumerism to creep into the following of Jesus. It so easily does. It's almost unconscious to us. Consumerism, where it's just about being fed, being taught, being blessed, and it almost doesn't cross our minds to consider what am I doing with all of this? Because knowledge is responsibility. God expects us to do something with what we're taught. And it's often in the everyday, it's often in the walking with Jesus. I'm going to be discipling my boy this week. I'm taking Jesse, our second son, he's 11. We're going to Africa again. He's been with me several times. And we're going to go down and we're going, we going to do good. We're going to drive out evil, we're gonna, amen. We're going we're gonna to do ministry together. We're going to be down with our Liberty community in Manzini and we'll be working with the Association of Related Churches in six different cities, talking to pastors and church planters. And you know what I'm not going to have to do for him? Join all the dots. I'm not going to have to wait and say, and the moral of the story is, we're just going to go do the things that Jesus does. And it's transformation. In fact, the first time he went, he was five. And he was a firecracker of a five-year-old I'm telling you, Full of passion and not always quite sure where to direct that. And the first time that we took him, I mean, he goes to just great public school. And to my knowledge, I don't know if any of the teachers that our kids have had have been really followers of Jesus. But he came back after that first trip to actually to Zimbabwe at the time. We were serving, loving people, feeding kids in really tough situations. And, and, and he just did things that Jesus did and joined with us in ministry. When we got back, his, his teacher, who doesn't follow Jesus, just said to me, I don't know what you did to that boy on that trip, but he came back different. Well, isn't that the journey, eh, amen? Isn't that just the journey of following Jesus? That's what discipleship looks like. Let me give you one more. We are transformed within the context of community. We're transformed within the context of community. We, We talk about thriving in community. Hebrews 10 says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. How are we gonna do that? He who promises faithful, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Twice the passage uses the phrase one another. In other words, this is not a solo mission. Amen. I don't want it to be said, I did it my way. I want it to be said. I did it in the context of the one another, spur one another, encourage one another. Another another verse talks about as iron sharpens iron, we need each other. And in the middle of this, the writer of Hebrews says, you know, not forsaking the the gathering together, another translation says. This one says the meeting together. That's funny, that feels just as timely today as when it was written 2,000 years ago. And you know what? Partly because of the advancement of technology. And, you know, I love that we have the world at our fingertips. I love that in a moment, whoever your favorite teacher can be right there with you on YouTube, right? Podcasts and videos and teaching and downloads and amen to it all. But it is not supposed to be a substitute for the one another. I want to be reminded, like the writer of Hebrews said, hey, don't forsake, don't give up, don't devalue the meeting together. We need each other. You know, one of the reasons for that is that we're shaped in the context of community. The disciples, yeah, they each had a personal journey, a personal path, but they did that journey together. They learned and grew together. And you know, one, another reason why this is important is that not only that we learn best together, but hello, this is also about contributing. It's not only about what I can receive and the most comfortable way to receive it in my PJs, but it's also about, right? It's also about what I do to give back to move forward into the mission of God. Proverbs 18:1 says, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire and he rages against all wise judgment. In other words, it is not wise. It is not wise to isolate yourself. Let's not do that. Let's not isolate ourselves. Discipleship, transformation, it's all about relationship. First and foremost, a relationship with God and wrapped around that relationship with others. In fact, we... I offer you a simple definition that we use of discipleship. That Discipleship is an intentional relationship. I often say intentional multiplying relationship. Centered on pursuing the ways of Jesus together. That's what I think it is. It's intentional. It's relational. It, it multiplies. It's just within the very DNA of what it is to follow Jesus. And it's not just any old relationship. It's centered on the ways of Jesus and pursuing them how? Together you're in the ways of Jesus together. To follow Jesus, to thrive in community, to make a difference. You know, as um, maybe someone from the worship team can come join me, I, I think what we're doing now is a part of this. The gathering together, we're here. You know, since the very beginning of Liberty Church, um, we've always said, you know, that our, our heart was that we would be a community and not just a crowd. And so, you know, for me, it's like, okay, what does it look? There's Sundays, there's these these beautiful community groups. We just launched a new season this last week, and I'd bet that there's still a bunch with room open. It's not too late to join us in that. Experience community and discipleship. We're even starting a new thing this year called discipleship circles. You know, Jesus had 12 and He had three. Man, layers of relationship, layers of transformation and an opportunity, an invitation to be transformed. When we talk about thrive, by the way, let me me just say this and I'll, I'll pray. Jesus cares about every area of your life. When we say thriving in community, I've unpacked in community, but let's remember that thriving is not just the accumulation of spiritual knowledge. Jesus cares about your spirit, soul, body. God has a plan for your life in every area, finances and relationships. You know, we so easily put up these artificial constructs of the sacred and the secular as if God wouldn't care about what you're doing tomorrow. And He only cares about you being here today, amen? God cares about all of your life, but He has a plan, a purpose for all of it, amen? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Max Lucado says, the one who saved your soul longs to remake your heart. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, and perhaps in seeing Him, we will see what we can become, Amen? beautiful journey of transformation. A long obedience in the same direction. Can I pray for us today? Because I really have a sense, I specifically wanna pray for those who need to really begin that journey today. We often pray this in our services and maybe you've never really committed your way to Jesus, asked for forgiveness of your sins and left your old way behind to pursue His way. Or, or maybe at one time you really would have said, I was... I was all in for Jesus and pursuing Him and you lost your way or made a different choice and here you are today. And I just love to pray with you a simple prayer of coming home. And so this is what I'm gonna invite you to do. I'd like to invite everybody just to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I do that mostly just to shut out distractions. So every one of us could take a moment to reflect and consider where am I in my relationship with Jesus today? And friend, if that's you, and if you would say, Paul, when you pray, can you pray for me? Because I know enough to know that I wanna get my life right with God today. Ask for forgiveness and turn to His way. Then I'm gonna ask you to do one simple thing. And that is just to put your hand up in the air and I'll see it. And you can put it down again. And we're gonna pray. I see you there. Who else? In there? Are there others today? that would raise a hand and allow me the great privilege of praying that prayer with you across this place. Where are you today? You're with friends and family. This is a safe place to begin or recommit to that journey. Once you've raised it, you can put it down. Last call. If there's anyone else today who should pray that prayer and join these, and we love to support you on on that journey. What's what we're gonna do? I'm gonna invite the whole church to pray a prayer, especially, I saw at least a couple hands, especially those of you who raised your hands, but why don't we all just pray this prayer out loud and commit our way to Him. Heavenly Father,